Hi, my name is Anna, and I am Jimmy's wife, and I'm here to take over his podcast and also give my informal thesis about why The Devil Wears Prada is one of the best movies to come out in the last 15 years. So we're going to talk about The Devil Wears Prada. He's going into this totally unprepared. This is just me being like, I'm ready to do this. Let's do it right now. Where do you think my motivation comes from here? I think that you really respect my opinion of movies, which is very sweet. You know that I'm smart. I'm not totally stupid. And much like Black Swan and American Beauty, you know how much I love this movie in particular. I'm really jazzed to talk about it. So that's what brings us here. Well, you always have really good insight for the majority of stuff that we both agree on. But you're also interesting in that you shed light on things that I haven't thought about and not that I'm any sort of like film student, but I love movies. You showed me that. I don't think I'd ever seen The Devil Wears Prada when we watched it. Oh my God, are you serious? For the first time. I don't think so. Are you serious? I don't think so. Wow. Anna has joined us for, as she mentioned, she was with us for The Black Swan. She was with us for American Beauty. And now she's with us for The Devil Wears Prada. I'm Jimmy, and this is Movie Show Theater. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. To infinity and beyond. You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? What's but a smile on that face? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Hey, Vasquez. Have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? There's no crying in baseball! Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Yippee ki motherfucker. Get away from her, you bitch! You bitch, you filthy animal. So you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah! What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. So can you like maybe just fill us in on the last 10 minutes of our lives and why we're here doing an unplanned episode? Well, Jimmy was ready to put this on pause of his own volition because he's got a lot going on in his life and he was going to hand this off to Sam, who's been on this show before. And it was complicated to hand off the necessary equipment and Sam was being difficult. So I was like, no. So here's the moral of the story. Is it Sam is not going to take this over. I'm going to take this over while Jimmy's busy. And I might just report, record podcasts by myself, minus the white claws, because I have a lot of opinions. Jimmy just hasn't picked movies that I've liked very much. And my whole stance has been, if I don't want to watch it, I don't want to do it. I swear I'm not difficult, but like, if I don't want to watch some weird sci-fi bullshit, I'm not going to watch it. Am I going to maybe do an episode about Arrival, which is like some weird-ass sci-fi movie because I love that movie so much? Yeah, it's going to happen. So I just solved Jimmy's problem because I fortunately work a 9-to-5 that is pretty much always a 9-to-5 and don't have a million things that I'm juggling at the same time. So I just basically solved my own creative frustrations 
right now live on this show. I just figured it all out. It'll be me probably by myself. Well, maybe people that want to join. I don't know. We'll see. So we had talked for a long time. Anna has respectfully brought up the fact that our film choices, while we do love taking listener requests, you can reach out through our Facebook page or our Instagram, lots of channels to get a hold of us. So typically when we do get together for a movie, it's a movie that we all like and we would like to talk about. You know, it's four dudes who have been friends their whole lives and we all have very similar movie wheelhouses and genres of what we like and you it's know it's never any kind of female narrative well um, sometimes it, we don't you say mm, like we avoid it prove it prove it annihilation did you do annihilation mm-hmm. all right one out of hard candy silence of the lambs well silence of the lambs i'd argue sort of against even though jodie foster is technically the main character we all know that hannibal lecter is like showstopper in that he's only got seven minutes of screen time in the i know movie. and he was nominated for an oscar for it i have we have lost trivia questions to that together i'm aware i am aware about it. Gary glenn ross who who is she i don't know her i know sucks anyway yeah that's another episode i'm gonna talk about alien on my own well you better listen to ours first because i'm pretty sure we covered i have Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. But women matter and our voices matter. And you covered it, sort of. So there's a a friend of ours that is another Chicago filmmaker named Tim Troy. And he's been wanting to come on the podcast. And I had Facebook messaged him months ago. And I said, hey, what do you think about the movie The Devil Wears Prada? Thinking that he might say, oh, it's okay. It's it's pretty good for a, a chick flick. His response was, it's almost perfect which I thought was really interesting. So it's too bad he can't be here with us. He is definitely here in spirit. All right. I don't even need prompts yeah. for this episode because I've seen this movie so many times. It is my comfort movie. Why? Why do you like this movie so much? Sell me on it. The performances are amazing. The costuming and set design is amazing and also believable, which is huge for a movie about fashion because they're generally really cheesy and stupid. And all the other supporting elements of the film, all of it, just really comes together to make a beautiful motion picture that is so much fun to watch. Heartfelt, sad, weird, funny. All of it makes absolute sense. And it's really rare for that to happen, especially when a movie is about fashion. Because it's kind of the heart and soul of this. There's a couple of hearts and souls, but the topical subject matter is the world of fashion. And I think this movie made people Google Anna Wintour that would never have Googled her before. You know who Anna Wintour is because of this movie. Just as a side note, for those who don't know, she's the editor-in-chief of Vogue North America, which is a big job. It's a really big job. So all of the elements of this movie combined to make a really great film to watch. And it has Meryl Streep in it in a really spectacular comedic role. She really shines. And it also brought us Emily Blunt as an American audience for the first time. We'd never seen her before, before this movie in any kind of like mainstream fashion. And she was hilarious and she is hilarious and we can thank this movie for it. Yeah, I feel like the movie totally took me by surprise. I mean, I expected to like it, but I didn't expect such a level of rewatchability. I've seen this with you probably five times and it's almost a comfort movie for me. It's kind but, of embarrassing. But yeah, yeah, maybe I'll edit it out. But I think... There's a lot of interesting perspectives. For one, this movie on its most 
superficial level is about fashion, but I think more than that, it's about the people and faces behind fashion. You know, it's a movie that appeals to people who are into fashion. You know, the cameos. If you love this oh, movie, the then you know the cameos are so good. But but if you know quite a bit about fashion, I mean, these are famous, famous people in a very specific world. If you read Vogue or just maybe were like a casual Sex and the City watcher. It's equally interesting to me who didn't know anything about this world. So it's a movie. So, of course, I'm not going into it with this mind of like, oh, so this is how fashion works because it's not a documentary. It's a fucking movie. That said, there's obviously a lot of authority that went into the writing of the story. And I think there's a lot that plays. I'll let Anit talk more about this, but the plot devices that they give women in a lot of movies, especially in the 90s, were very similar. It was like the same, like, girl problems written by dudes. Do you know what I'm saying, though? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, the baseline for movies for the longest time has been the Bechdel test, which has been how are there two women who communicate about something other than a man. And if that's the case, then you pass the Bechdel test, which is like a sad, weird baseline for are the women in this movie literally anything other than just plot devices to propel the story of a man forward. So for people who like multidimensional characters, it's been really sad when you watch a movie and that's not been the case. And The Devil Wars Prada is a hilarious comedy that maybe you could call it a dramedy that way surpasses the Bechdel test. That's not even really a, a thing in this movie. They don't really, men isn't really that big of a topic of conversation so you have a, a cast full of primarily female characters. There is a handful of male characters in this in the movie, but most of their conversations are about something other than men, which is really refreshing, especially in 2006 when this movie came out. This wasn't really that big of a thing then. I mean, it's 2019 now, so it wasn't as big of a focus for women to have any kind of role outside of propelling a plot forward of the male characters involved and to have a movie where there are several women who have lots of dialogue that have nothing to do with men and something to do with something else was just great. Even at whatever, I was like, what, 17? Yeah, but outside of that, I have a few reasons why this movie was initially so groundbreaking. And one of those things is costume design. So for those of you who have seen it, which it's been, I don't know, 13 years, you've probably seen it at this point. A lot of it is about fashion. It is set in the world of fashion. And one of the things that this movie brought us in a beautiful and delicious way is an inside glimpse into that world. And we're going to talk about Miranda Priestly, a.k.a. Meryl Streep's amazing soliloquy about how the belt oh the belt well just all of it oh and she really shames the shit out of andy and it's awesome but the costume designer for this movie was a woman named patricia fields who had pink hair for a very long time and she was the primary costume designer for the sex in the city show and also i think for the for, for both movies but she is really broke boundaries and barriers for her risk-taking in fashion and how that impacted the rest of us and the way that we shopped and the way that we looked at clothes, just generally speaking. 
So the Venn diagram of people who love Sex in the City and Devil Wears Prada is really just like one giant overlapped circle. But there are people outside of the Sex in the City fan base who also watch Devil Wears Prada because of the actors and just circumstance. So one of the things that I really admire about Patricia Fields is that she she took a lot of risks, but she also is very aware of herself. And for a movie that's a lot about fashion, it has aged remarkably well. There's not a lot of like really seasonal or dated pieces that would make you say, oh, that looks bad, you know? And I think that's a mark of a great costume designer. So Yeah, since the movie is about fashion and fashion is constantly changing. Right. So that's a huge deal. And we just really have to give Pat Fields credit for all the work that she did in making this really timeless and also just kind of really being ahead of the curve with everything. She is just a remarkable costume designer and knew exactly what she was doing. And I think about the memes that I share now as a 30-year-old woman. There's the scene where Andy has her makeover after being kind of a frumpy, the smart fat girl, as Miranda calls her, who has no sense of fashion. And she walks in after going through her little makeover in the wardrobe closet. And she is wearing these beautiful black boots. And Emily goes, are you wearing the... And Andy goes, the Chanel boots? Yeah, I am. And like, that's like an ongoing joke. Anytime you see an animal with like muddy legs and it's like, are you wearing the Chanel boots? Yeah, I am. Like it's, it's just, it really has resonated. And those Chanel boots were beautiful because some of high fashion really is works of art. And Pat Fields knew that. And the costuming that she chose for that movie was essentially works of art for all of the characters and somehow they don't look dated and we just have to give her credit where credit is due because it really does take the work of a professional and a genius to make a movie that came out in 2006 not look like it came out in 2006 and look as good as it did so i think it also attests to the collaboration that's involved in something like this because sometimes you watch a movie and you look at the director and if you do know better or if you don't know better you assume that the director gets credit for a lot of the creative choices. And he does. But this movie, like we're talking about, that has that has such a, a feminine voice and such a real feminine opinion, was directed by a guy. Granted, it was based on a book directed by... Oh, um, it was based on a, a book by a woman. Yeah, Lauren Weisenberger, who really liked the film. He hired a crew of women to kind of make this happen. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to I'm I'm give Pat Fields another shout out. At the end of this movie, when Andy has kind of realized herself and thrown her phone in the fountain in Paris and was like, I can't do this anymore. And she's walking past the set that they chose for the offices of Runway Magazine. She is wearing a pair of pants tucked into boots. And that was our first glimpse of skinny jeans tucked into boots outside of a runway ever. So to have Andy wearing, at the time, they were called cigarette jeans, as we know now in 2019, like, that's not cool. They were, they're skinny jeans tucked into boots. And like, I know the joke now is that like the basic bitch, you know, her boots, her jeans and her boots, like, that's just like a look. But Pet Fields gave us that look. That was never something that we created it was given to us by her and by this movie. And that was birthed from the runways. But she was like, no, we can make this 
for regular women. It doesn't have to just be like models on haute couture runways. So Pat Fields gave us this beautiful image of Andy in a turtleneck or cigarettes, jeans tucked into boots, wearing a cute leather jacket, acknowledging Miranda Priestley in front of the runway offices. And it's amazing. I mean, it's in 13 years, and I don't think we'll ever stop wearing skinny jeans as gals, especially now that they come in high and mid-waist because nobody likes low-waist jeans because those are stupid. So, yeah, one of the big pivotal pieces and elements to this movie has been the wardrobing and the costuming, and Pat Fields really killed it. So we'll take a a tiny break because I have come up with four true or false trivia questions for my wonderful wife, just to test her voice of authority. All right, bet. Okay, these are all true or false. The novel sold over a million copies, spent 10 weeks at number one, spent a year on the New York Times bestseller list. The film obviously was a box office smash. The novel has since been published in 20 languages. Okay. Is that true? Yeah. False. Oh, it's what? been forty languages. <sighs> All right, that was. You think crazy. I was paying attention to those details? Okay, right. here's a good one. The first bag we see Miranda carry into the office is actually a Prada bag. The first one. The first bag we see her carry into the office. Oh shit! When she's yelling at Emily, I don't know. It was a Prada bag, but was it? I'm gonna go with true. Yes. Good call. All right. Yeah. All right. Bet. <laughs> All right, Anne Hathaway really did go from a size 6 to a size 4 throughout filming. I want to go with true. A size 6 isn't necessarily thick, but I can imagine this movie would take its toll. Yeah, true. Sure. Okay, well, that's true. Oh. All right, last one for right now. We were talking about the designer, uh, Patricia Field. Wardrober and costumer, Patricia Field. She was not a designer. Oh, okay. Thank you. True. Um, That's why you're here. Mm -hmm. So despite... Multiple designer loans. Patricia Field spent more than this much money on costuming. She received her sole Oscar nomination for her work on this film. All costumes were then sold off at an auction for research of breast cancer. Anne Hathaway did actually buy the green dress her character gets to wear. Side note. So how much money did this costumer spend on wardrobing? She's a wardrobe designer. So I guess in that... If you want to articulate it, she has. She's a wardrobe designer. So you're asking me how much money she spent? Just on costuming. Of the budget she spent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. I don't know. A lot. Let me tell you the budget first. That would only be fair. The budget was $35 So it's a pretty humble budget for uh, Meryl Streep anything. I know she demanded more for herself with this movie. Mm -hmm. And Anne Hathaway hadn't done much. She had that pretty girl image from like Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted. She was the queen of makeover movies. Yeah. She was also in Brokeback. Yeah. Just the year before she was coming off of that. Yeah. So I'm digressing. How much money that business Can you give me like, give me a window between what and what? Between 500,000 and 7 million. (laughs) You asked for a window. Um, 3 million? It's a million. Oh. Oh! Wow. But okay. So that's not much. No, it's not much. But I'm wondering if there were some designers who sent them things on loan, as they often do. And Pat Fields, I'm sure, had a great relationships with designers from her time on Sex in the City because Carrie's worn some dresses from Sex in the City that were like in a couple hundred thousands in terms of how much they cost. So 
I'm sure Pat Fields has a lot of connections. I guess I'm not really that surprised if it was about a million because the three people that were really dressed amazingly were Emily, Andy, and Miranda. So you get three people. I mean, it gets expensive, but anyway. Apparently, Emily Blunt was cast before Anne Hathaway, but Emily Blunt has an amazing line every time she opens her mouth. You yeah. also hadn't done that much. When I feel like I'm about to faint, I eat a cube of cheese. Yeah. What's your, uh, I'm one stomach flew away from. I'm one stomach flew away from my goal weight. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't be until years later that she marries John Krasinski that we're like, oh, fuck, she but, is funny. But that was her introduction to American audiences was this movie. Yeah. John Krasinski was on a talk show with Emily Blunt, and she confessed that he had busted him watching Double Wears Prada by himself. Human resources certainly has a, a funny sense of humor. Yeah, I guess a testament to her character is that she says nothing but mean-spirited, negative, and resentful lines, but she's so likable. She's not... Maybe she, maybe, maybe she's likable because you know Emily Blunt is likable. No, I wouldn't call her likable. She's kind of what you would assume would be in that industry anyway. Like, yeah, exactly. Miranda has two assistants, a personal and an executive, and she is what... A former personal to an executive assistant would be. She's used to the stress and put in all of this effort. And then, you know, as the movie goes on, turns out Andy gets to take that from her because a bunch of shit. But yeah, she's hilarious. You eat cobs for Christ's sake. She's amazing. Yeah. I love Stanley Tucci in this movie. Well, I love Stanley Tucci for like 20 reasons. One of those is this movie. Kind of similar to Emily Blunt where he's not an emotional, feely kind of character he does reach out and help andy when she first starts but i've thought he doesn't really reach out and help her he kind of reluctantly does she reaches out to him and is like please help me not ruin this and he's like in a sea of people you're the one messing this up he wants her to drown a little bit less nigel 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 kind of he doesn't want her to fail but i don't really think it's because he likes her it's because he just doesn't want to see miranda fail in the institution it's not a matter of oh he likes andy Andy's not really a standout person. Like, she's smart, but Stanley Tucci's character, Nigel, is such a runway addict and professional and is so loyal to the magazine that in the end, it's all about the magazine. That's what he lives and dies for. And when Andy comes to him and is like, I'm fucking this up, Barney. And he's like, well, yeah, duh. And he helps her. Then they kind of become friends. But it, it doesn't happen until she asks him for help. He's not an Andy fan until she's like, I'm messing this up, aren't I? And he's like, yeah, you are. You're being stupid. And then it changes. Okay. Another trivia for you. All right. Which one of these four actors auditioned for Nigel's role? Hugh Grant, Kelsey Grammer, (laughs) Bill Nye from Love Actually fame, you know, the singer, or Graham Norton? Bill Nye. Irish talk show host, Bill Nye. Norton. Graham Norton. Oh, weird. But you know what? I think he could have done it. No. I don't know. Stanley Tucci's so good. And he brought a subtlety to the character that's like, you watch Nigel and you just kind of know that he's been in this business for a really long time. He's kind of the Andre Leon Talley of this sort of fictional world in a way that you don't really need to see the overtness. You know how good Nigel is at his job. And you don't need much more than that. And I don't know, Graham Norton, like maybe could he have done it? I don't know. I don't really know him outside of his talk show. But 
I think what Stanley Tucci brought to the table was a subtlety to the character that he like he saw Nigel on the page and he brought to life a really believable and tasteful, wasn't phased by models and bras and Andy changing in the wardrobe room of runway. Like he didn't care because it's that's it. And I think that's what Stanley Tucci brought was a believable level of professionalism to that character. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think that it's a good show that this idea of like, you don't have to say nice things to be likable because I don't know why. I thought Emily Blunt, I liked Emily Blunt right away. I felt like the the meaner that she was, the more I liked her. And I guess maybe just because I like humor, I like to laugh. So she's, she's saying funny things, so I like her and it's that simple. Or maybe even though she's pretty much a bitch throughout, it comes from a place of like, I'm so dedicated to my job that I'm willing to give everything up. And then the scene in the hospital. I mean, the whole movie is just... You for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah. The whole movie is just peppered with scenes that I did not expect to be... I wouldn't say like deeply affected by. I don't think about them on a regular basis, but they, they do slowly and gradually turn Anne Hathaway's character, not into Miranda per se, but you don't notice it happening, or at least not obviously. Everybody wants to be us. Oh, shit. If if you're listening to this and you've never seen the movie, you're not going to have a good time. We're not gonna That's do the a case synopsis. for every episode you do. True. It's not about like... It would be so nice, though, if people were like, I don't know what the movie is, but they just got such great chemistry. Well, maybe they just pause it and then go watch the movie and then come back to this once they've watched it. That'd be great. That would but be if great. it's 2019 and you have not seen The Devil Wars Prada, by all means, watch it. Please. It's a great fucking movie. So you made it this far and you haven't watched it. Stop this you're shit now. You're very confused. You're like, what are you talking about? Stop it now. Like, bitch, did you like it? I'm also a huge advocate for it. So stop it now, watch it, and then come back. So there's a question of, is this a movie for people who love fashion? Is this a movie for people who don't know what Prada is? And I think the answer yes. is yes. All of the above. Uh, doesn't matter if you know what product. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. They're like, they populate it with, a, with a, a handful of characters that you've seen before in different movies, you know, like well, Nigel's Whoa, 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 hold up. While this movie is based in the world of fashion, at the root of it all is a story about finding yourself. It's about finding and losing yourself in the process, you know. Andy came to New York to be a journalist. She gets a job at a fashion magazine. Doesn't know anything about it. She hustles so hard and works so hard. And in the process, loses herself as she has to make a series of decisions. And then realizes that she's like, oh my God, this is not who I'm meant to be. Throws her phone at the fountain at Plaza de Concord. Yes, which we've been to. Humble brag. I'm on our honeymoon. And, Humble brag. And that's that. It's a, a pretty age-old story of... Finding yourself, losing yourself, and finding yourself again. You see it time and time again in movies, TV, and books. It's one of the reasons why this movie is so easy to watch is that you kind of feel for Andy as a person because she, in the end, decides like stick to who she is, which is really great because she, you know, she finds herself and she's like, oh, this isn't who I am. Like I don't, this is not what I want. No, I don't want to be us. Mm-hmm. Boom! There goes her T-Mobile sidekick, and she runs. And you're like, no, I feel that, girl. Like, I feel you. I want to be myself and feel true to myself. And so that's the theme of it all. It's not a super complicated story. Yeah. It's just told in a very glamorous and fashionable world with, like, hilarious characters and 
beautiful, delicious clothes. Yeah, so despite these like cameos and very subtle details that could only come from people who know this world, this movie is for anybody who enjoys like real stories about uh you know everything the the whole story you can you you can appreciate without knowing a lick about fashion like um everyone's favorite forgettable boyfriend Nate yeah whatever, whatever he said yeah i mean it was fine she was it was his boy she was his it was fine the relationship he, was not he wasn't very supportive of her job and her job required a lot of time and dedication and she it's implied that she doesn't make very much money and she spends a lot of time doing it. And for uh, a sous chef hustling in New York, he has a very low tolerance for it, which is kind of funny because like chefs have a notoriously insane work schedule and like, I don't know what kind of chef would be home to shame somebody in the evening, but like, all right, you're probably not that good at your job. But apparently he gets a job at the Oak Room, so he's not that terrible at it. But anyway, he's there to serve the plot point that, like, he watches her change from being this, like, earnest journalist peddling her stories to newspapers to being, like, a high-powered corporate assistant of some kind, personal assistant, who's not running anything but working crazy hours and not getting paid a lot of money for it. And you see his frustration, their kind of relationship collapse, and, like, you know, you you get it. You get both sides, but also like stopping a little bitch about everything. And like your girl's got a salary job and she's working really fucking hard. So like, shut up. It's kind of how I felt about his character, but you know, it's just me. Yeah. I mean, whether you loved him or not, the, their relationship was not written to be one that you're like rooting for, you know, throughout the film. She like, as she's losing touch with herself, her relationship kind of pays the price and she misses his birthday dinner. But at no point in the movie did I really... I wasn't rooting for them to like stay together, like get together. The movie is not about... Their their relationship arc is not important to this movie. And nor really is, is fashion, as we are kind of talking about. It's kind of an ironic thing that this movie is full of these popping details and incredible costume design. But it's not really a movie... About about fashion and a lot of it is it's about finding yourself yeah and there's that line that meryl streep gives there's a scene where andy has some boring old outfit on and meryl streep is in this meeting and she's debating on these belts for this outfit and she has this amazing monologue that i bet my wife has memorized but my favorite line is her line when she says you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care what you put on your back so she like tells this whole story about the origin of, you know, a certain piece of clothing and how Andy just randomly chose this piece of clothes because, you know, quote unquote, I don't care, but kind of proving that you don't know this world. You don't know yourself as well as you think you do. I don't, do, you, do you have that monologue memorized? Yes. Could you do a dramatic reading for us? I love that scene and I quote it all the time in my day to day life. So... But what you don't know is that sweater is not blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's cerulean. You're also blindly unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? And then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. Then it filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down to some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. 
However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless of jobs, and so it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when, in fact, you're wearing the sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Phenomenal. Cute Meryl Streep death stare. So we were talking about how uh, this is such a a great movie for females and like just lightly touching on the fact that main female leads are typically still typically given the same plot devices and conflicts and problems and like this is the you know this is the character arc for you and it's you know blah 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 so this came out in 2006 so if we're looking at other movies from 2006 that validated a female perspective these are some of the movies that came out 300, Harvard, Casino Royale, Apocalyptico, Superman Returns. Oh my God, embarrassing. uh, The Da Vinci Code, whatever, there was a girl in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Mary Magdalene's illegitimate heir. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Children of Men, Rocky Balboa, The Hills Have Eyes, X-Men Last Stand. So like the only time women were at the theater in 2006 was because they were finally wore down by their boyfriends. Oh, Jesus. We did get Mission Impossible 3. We did get Lake House. Hold up. We went and saw those shitty-ass movies with or without you, but there were no narratives written, directed, or performed by women that had anything to do with anything other than a man. So we saw 300, and I was like, wow, this is dumb as shit. Why is everything in slow motion? I I hate Zack Snyder. But this shit was boring as hell. And all those movies that you just listed, I was like, mm, I saw a lot of those. And also, they sucked in a lot of ways. Do not call this movie a chick flick. Can we just not use that word anymore? That's fine. Chick flick implies that it's for chicks and it rhymes. Yeah, it sounds dumb. Chick flick is a stupid term. It's stupid in a lot of ways. It's not quite sexist, but it's... No, it's for sure sexist. Yeah. It's like, no, this movie was made for chicks by chicks. Like, only chicks can see it. Don't call, ever call me a chick. I'm a grown-ass woman with a professional job. Don't ever call me a chick. I'm not a fucking baby bird. And also, you can't even say it was made for women. because It's like, a comedy. The Devil Wears Prada in itself is a comedy. And, like, and even if it's more of a gender-specific humor, if you want to call it that, oh, the first thing that comes to mind is... 27 Dresses, a Katherine Heigl movie, which for all intents and purposes is not a great movie. But should men be able to say it's stupid as well as women? Like you can call that shit a chick flick. Like don't automatically gender it because it's bad. Like, no, it's just a fucking movie. It's a romantic comedy. Don't call it a chick flick. You're you're dumbing down, you're discrediting it because it's a movie made for female audiences. Right. And there are a lot of movies made for... We got a unquote, place for movies by women. Well, yeah, exactly. So outside of that, Devil Wars Prada is not a chick flick. It's not. And anybody who uses a chick flick term to describe it is wrong, quite frankly. Anyway, this movie has kind of a, a baseline story to it that everybody can relate to about finding yourself, but we haven't even talked about the performances outside of Emily Blunt and, and Hathaway's a great actress and she's kind of the queen of makeover movies. She's funny and can, I guess, I don't know at what point Hollywood told us on the fact that she was not beautiful, but I mean, she is and that he like throw some eyeliner on her and like comb her hair. And it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. She's a center and Hathaway's beautiful, but you can make her like sort of ugly and then make her like mega beautiful 
in one movie without like a dramatic change. And she's funny and she's believable and interesting. But really the the star of the show, well, I say the stars of the show are Emily Blunt, Stanley Tucci, and Meryl Streep. Because Meryl Streep's delivery of her lines and just the whole thing is, that's really what makes this movie. Between the amazing dialogue, the whole monologue about the color of that, the belt, and then her just her, that's all. That's all. That's all. I can't tell you how many times that's just popped up in like random jokes and just general day-to-day conversations as an adult. Her delivery of those lines really makes this movie. And also the bit when she's like, I hired this smart fat girl. Like it's so funny. She makes these cruel, weird things just sound so funny and that was the first time that I watched Meryl Streep in a comedic role, and I was like, damn, that bitch is funny as hell. I don't know if I can think of another. I can't. Like, she's done a number of comedies off and on throughout her career, but like that was the first time when I was like... But can you prove it? Because I can't. She Well, there was some really dumb shit she's done, but like this one was like, wow, that, sh- that was hilarious. And this is apparently the first time she made some real money for a movie, like real, real money, because she told them that she was worth it. They offered her the part, and she was like, no, I need more money for it. And they met it. They met her demands. They were like, all right, she's worth it. And she was, because that shit was hilarious. Yeah, the only other uh, female actor I can think of that could have pulled it off is Helen Mirren. I As much as I love Helen Mirren, I don't. I'm sure she could. So. She could have done. I mean, she could have done this. It just would have been a different movie. It's hard to do comedy where your lines are funny in context, but... As written word, they're not funny. They're not supposed to be funny. Oh, no. they're. But this is the best part about this movie and the writing of this movie. Is yeah. That outside of it, it is funny. So when you're in like a group text and somebody says, that's all. Like, you know what they're referencing. That shit is hilarious. Yeah. That's or a very like, specific friend group that you're uh, referencing. But I agree. No, it's not that specific. It's me and an assortment of my straight female friends and a handful of gay friends like they know what we're talking about like we don't have to you know to include the miranda Priestley gif to accompany it like we know i guess it's specific in that it's like women and gay men women with an x and gay men like it's not this movie really does transcend barriers like social barriers in terms of who's really enjoyed this. Men, I guess if there was a, a straight dude in my group chat, he might get it. I don't know. You figure it out. a straight dude in your group chat. He could, he could Google it if he wants to. But yeah, it, it really does transcend a lot of social fences. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them barriers because they're not barriers, but they are sort of transparent walls that we have that separate us from each other in, in some of our social ways. But we damned if we don't all know the Miranda Priestly quotes. Or, or the Emily Blunt quotes. Where's my coffee? Has she died or something? Damn. So we had mentioned that this movie, whether you know everything about fashion or nothing about fashion, this movie is for you. And I felt that when the movie started and as soon as she enters the fashion house that Miranda Priestly works in, you're like bombarded with this world that's either very familiar or you have no idea what's going on. For me, I had really no idea what's going on. 
except for all the like preconceived notions of how I think a fashion house would look and, and act. How do you think it would look and act? Like that. <laughs> but my point is all that right. I didn't feel stupid for not knowing. You know, it's not yeah. like you're introduced to this world and expected to know all of these things. They overwhelm you at first because Andy is overwhelmed and they like, you know, they want you to relate to her character because um, she didn't know anything about this. Uh, Did somebody eat an onion bagel? You know, the main ingredient in corn chowder is cellulite. That is a joke from the movie. Yeah. So uh, I feel like they do a really effective but subtle job of reminding you that this isn't a fashion movie and it's not the kind of movie that you probably thought it was going to be about. Like we had talked about the boyfriend, Nate. Yeah. And he's not a, he wasn't written to be obnoxious or anything like they're fine. You don't hope that they break up, but there's nothing about... I did. He sucks. He he does suck. But there's nothing about their chemistry or relationship or like individual characters that you're like hoping that they make it work. Because within 20 minutes of Other the movie... Other than the fact that she loves him. Yeah. And they've been together for a while. She does. Well, they kind of... She loves the make idea him- of him. <laughs> They imply that they like love each other, been together for a while. How long do you think uh, in this fictional world? <laughs> I call this I call this romance fiction. That's the kind of movie that this is. I don't know how long they've been together, but long enough that they know each other well, and they can like poke fun at each other and have mutual friends. So at least a year or two. I don't know. Do you have an absolute answer for it? Yeah, but I'm not telling you. Oh, okay. No, I I, I don't know. But my point is that like it's it's not about the relationship and it can't be about the fashion. It kind of makes tweaks on every comedy drama movie like this that you've seen. You know, like there's a lot of romance comedies I'm you struggle that I this. do not. You can call them rom-coms. I'm not going to crucify you for it. Just don't call it a check. Rom-com is fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. A rom-com is fine. And rom-coms have their time and place in the cinematic world. Just yeah. fine. And they have... When um, Harry Met Sally is a rom-com and Nora Ephron right. is a fucking genius. Right. And the formula has only been tweaked over the years. You know, tweaked and refined. But this isn't even a rom-com. Because exactly. a rom-com's formula is guy and girl and all the things that fall in between. This is about... A girl and her career ambitions and her boss is really what it boils down to. And like we talked about before, it's about finding yourself and asking yourself, am I this person or am I this person? And and making that choice. And I think that's why this movie is so relatable. It's so much about ambition and, and the sacrifices that you have to make to become successful. And I remember at one point reading in some random ass magazine about how ludicrous the rapper loves this movie, which I think a lot of people really love this movie because it's just there's something really relatable in the the core storyline of it all. And it's just highlighted by these beautiful clothes and great performances. Yeah. But I think we should talk about the totally random cameos. Yeah, let's do that. That have happened in this film that are not necessarily everybody's aware of. So... The first one and the biggest, because they have speaking lines, is a character named Serena, who is Giselle Bunchton, the supermodel from Brazil. Uh, she's married to Tom Brady. She was a Victoria's Secret angel and then kind of went on to become 
like a true supermodel. She is an absolute stunner. The first time you see her is talking to uh, Emily Blunt character, Emily Blunt's character, Emily, which is funny, in a black leather skirt, like a lacquered leather and a white top. And she's just like a total bitch. And, you know, she's a supermodel, so it's fun that she's in it. Like, why not? It's cool. In terms of other celebrity cameos, is there anybody that you want to shout out? Um, Heidi Klum. Yeah. She's in it in Paris Fashion Week when they go together. Um, there's also... Fashion photographer Nigel Barker, of course. You can forget him. Noted fashion photographer Nigel Barker. Excuse me, of America's Next Top Model fame. I would not That is that. a whole other bullshit I'm ready to get on. Tyra Banks' show, America's Next Top Model. They would introduce him as noted fashion photographer. Oh my God, he wrote that Nigel for Barker. himself. No, he probably did. But he was on that show noted? for... So the fuck what? Noted. They were always introduced him as noted fashion photographer. Noted by Nigel. who? I want to know. I don't know. But it, it's so weird. I honestly don't even remember him in this movie. Fuck, what is he doing in this movie? He must be in Paris Fashion Week. Yeah, I think that scene at the uh, Paris Gala was where a lot of the cameos came in. Including Mr. Valentino himself, mm-hmm. whose full name is Valentino... Garavani, and he gets to meet Andy because they went to the Valentino show. And Valentino is one of the big Italian fashion houses. That's very exciting. But I'm also kind of thrown by the fact that Nigel Barker is in this. Noted fashion photographer, Nigel Barker. I can't... Noted photographer? Noted fashion photographer. That was how Tyre introduced him in every episode of America's Next Top Model. I think the show is off the air. But I would hope so. In the four or five seasons that I watched that trash, he was on it. I think Elise can confirm or deny. Wow. Didn't she love that show? Which Elise? Not Matthews. All right. I will ask her. Wow. Great. Noted fashion photographer Nigel. Anyway. Yeah. There were some great cameos. Heidi Klum being one of them. She was also in an episode of Sex and the City, just FYI. She's in the one where Carrie falls over on the runway. Yeah, so there's a lot of, like, obvious... There's some crossovers. I told you the Venn diagram is two overlapping circles. But you didn't tell me that the same cinematographer worked on both Sex and the City and Devil Wears Prada. Two overlapping circles. Explain. It's great. As much as white men love to trash Sex and the City, bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. And, like, that show is... Super fun to watch. And I learned some valuable relationship lessons from that show as a young woman coming of age who is probably way too young to watch it. But I could do a whole episode defending Sex and the City despite its crazy non-inclusivity and problematic tendencies of race and class. But, you know, it's fine. So uh, something that's kind of fun about when you read about actors who are in an environment on set where their creative input is encouraged because that's not always the case and actors also don't always care which is fine i can't judge that but i guess meryl streep was the one who is responsible for the cerulean blue sweater scene and also in what to what degree like was she like well there were four different versions of the script and the original one was written from scratch 
by the main screenwriter. But in one of those drafts, there were two scenes that were like kind of sort of not fully formed, but Streep read all four versions and the sweater scene was one and the hotel scene was one, which are two of my favorite scenes because it's, I don't think it would be missing. Well, it, w- it would be different without the, the hotel scene specifically because there's this, you know, character. Which that, hotel scene is the one where this, she's crying because her end. husband left her? Yeah. All right. Because you see her without her walls up and you see her vulnerable. So that's cool to see her as a character. But she allows Anne Hathaway to, to see her like that. I mean, she didn't, you know, sneak up behind her and like catch her crying. She It's this like, it's the the softest that we ever see her character. And it's because she's like vulnerable for the first time. Yeah. And, yeah. And the whole movie. Yes. You know, she like prides herself on like not needing anybody. And maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. But that one scene she did and recognized Andy's sincerity. I mean, from the very beginning of the Andrea? movie... Andrea? Andrea? Yeah, from the very beginning of the movie, they, like, make it very clear that Miranda and Andy are South and North Pole. But like, are they? Well, keep watching. Nobody Everybody wants to be us. Yeah, so, like, you know, the, the, from, the, from the dress to the kind of character to the, like, belief system... Totally opposite people, but Andy, A, needs a job, and B, challenged and rises to the occasion. And then they have these little details I was talking about earlier. The scene, and this is like a little technical touch that the cinematographer did, or whoever did the, the shot list, from a profile sort of perspective. They show Andy sitting down at a desk, and you see Miranda standing up kind of over her. And they use this shot a couple of times. The paradynamic switch. Right. So it's not like super obvious. Like, yeah, it's just two people talking to each other. That's how you, you know, get that coverage. And then they switch that to where Miranda is sitting and Andy is standing. And it's not super obvious, but I think it, it has some effect whether you know it or not. So, yeah, spoiler alert, she kind of turns into Miranda. She was never not Miranda, though. I think that was the key, is that she was always so ambitious that she was willing to just do whatever it took to become successful. And it's not until Miranda says to her, I see a great deal of of me in you, which, you know, we're one and the same in the car in Paris. And Andy says to her, I could never do what you did to Nigel after she basically shafted Nigel out of a huge external promotion, like a new job. And Miranda tells her, we already did to Emily. Mm-hmm. And Andy has that moment where she's like, oh, fuck, I did do that, didn't I? But Andy was always so ambitious. So she was always like Miranda. And it wasn't she was until she was do. in, she was willing to do whatever it took to become successful. And it wasn't until she was in the world and deep in it all that she realized like what she was, what she had done to other people that she that that's not who she was. That she really, really did want to be a journalist. And she let the idea of success catch her up in it. And also just like a job at that point for her as a sort of new grad, I think is what they're implying in the in the movie. So she's not that different from Miranda. Well, I think it's telling of Streep's character too, because she's obviously very confident, very successful. And you have this like idea of who this person is. And the hotel scene that we were talking about, she's just gotten some very bad news. She's not wearing a very fashionable outfit. She's got her makeup off. She's like totally vulnerable. And you realize that like, yeah, she has her 
walls down and she's letting Andy in a little bit more like emotionally, but really she's fucking lonely and her, she does not have this life that she's conveying. And she has that great line. Uh, everybody wants to be us. And I guess Meryl Streep, the line in the script is everybody wants to be me. And Meryl Streep changed it to us, which is fascinating. Um, but it's, Oh, that's so. Yeah. But wow. the fact that the kind of shit that Andy pulled with the France stuff, Miranda would have done just fine. But she kind of had to manipulate Andy into doing it because Andy is a lot more, I think, good natured and like self-aware and just thoughtful in general. So like, yeah, you did do the same thing, but you also tricked me into doing it because, you know, for whatever reason, to make a point or because misery loves company. Did she? Mm-hmm. I think so. And he could have said no. Yeah, but I don't think it. she really phrased it like, do you want to go with me to Paris? She didn't. I feel like she felt like she didn't really have a choice. She, I would have done that. She felt like she didn't have a choice, but she had a choice. Yeah, but I'm saying like... The choice was to say, I won't do that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think they're pretty different. It just took us 60 or 70 minutes to realize that she, she just always, wanted to be successful. Andy wanted to be successful. She didn't want to be the head of a fashion house. And she I, wanted to be successful. Yeah, and I think Miranda's was more uh, self-centered and like she knew exactly what she was getting into. Or maybe she didn't. And Miranda is Andy uh, 30 years from now. But I can't think of another romantic comedy that I feel so strongly about. Um, I wouldn't even call it... I would just call it a comedy. I wouldn't even call it a romantic comedy. No, no. I guess comedy drama, according to IMDb. A dramedy. It's not, the romance is not a, a huge element to this. No, like, there's a couple of romantic subplots, but it's not. Oh, we didn't even talk about her shitty friends at the bar that night. Remember when they take her phone when Miranda's calling her? Yeah. Sucks. Like, Fuck, guys. I just don't, started this new job. Don't be that. That, that I think, kind of dates it. Because if yeah. it happened in 2019 and your phone rings after hours and it's your boss, like, nobody in my friend circle would dare mm-hmm. to, like, take my phone. I work. As an executive admin, if my boss were to call and I had to, like, Can you, you took, I took my your phone, phone and I was like, I would, can you get it? I would punch you in the face and then take my yeah. phone. Like, don't be a fucking dick. This is my job. Right in the nose with this. Yeah. Like, don't, don't you fucking dare. Like, don't be a dick. Yeah. Or and if your job. Me, you changed. Fuck you. Yeah. You guys suck. You know what fucking job I, I have. Don't be a, a piece of shit. Purse, bitch. Yeah, I gave you a bunch of free shit. Don't be an asshole. Like, and now what I'm the getting fuck? a phone call from the person who gave you that shit. Boom, roasted. Yeah, exactly. It's so stupid. But that's kind of a sign of the times. It's kind if, of a sign of her friends, too. I mean, if my T Mobile sidekick rang in 2019, I would answer it because I have a T Mobile sidekick. The hours that we pull with certain jobs in that in the business world now are, are not things that we did in 2006. It wasn't required. Yeah. And as, but I think this movie ages surprisingly well, considering it came out in the early 2000s, which is weird to say out loud because it did. And it's a great story of kind of figuring out who you are and the lengths you're willing to go to be successful set in a very glamorous and, interesting world that is sort of educational but the way that it's delivered is like funny and kind of sad and really interesting 
and also beautiful because the world of fashion, no matter what your opinion is about it, is beautiful and it's very core. So even if you're uh, florals for spring, groundbreaking, like it's still beautiful to look at and the clothes that they wear is interesting to see and watch. They're as impractical as fashion outfits are today. Yes. Miranda and her beautiful belts and Andy and her skinny jeans or her cigarette jeans tucked into her boots. Mm-hmm. Like And that great ending when she gets into the car. Yeah. I love that. Her Lexus or her Mercedes or whatever it is that yeah. she gets into. It's, I just love that she doesn't wave. No, she just looks at her. I would have even been okay if they didn't cut to the close-up of her in the car when she does kind of crack a smile. She have smiles. Yeah. She Miranda smiles. That's not even needed. I felt like she got her point across. Like, I, I knew. I she knew. saw her. Yeah. I mean, I'm not mad about I'm not mad about it. Like, yeah. she didn't get any. It wasn't. She didn't break character and, like, wave at her. Miranda Priestley doesn't like, wave. Hey, Miranda. Hey, girl. And Miranda's like, like bitch. hey, girl. No, she doesn't do that. So, uh, 2006 desperately needed this movie. What does movie show theater desperately need? What movie? God, any kind of female representation, not from a male lens. Got to be more specific. <sighs> does it have to be? It doesn't have to be anything, I guess, if it's my own answer. I think it would be great to have movie directed by a woman. That would be awesome. Clueless. Yeah. Oh my god, I love Clueless. But. Maybe a movie that goes to a deeper place than Clueless does. Does one exist? Does it? Um, yeah, I think it does. Let, I, I think one of the things that movie show theater misses is the representation of both genders. And I'm not saying that a movie about women or with women characters directed by a man or, or helmed by a man in some way, shape, or form can be accurate. But you lack movies directed by women quite frankly or just even led by women and i know that alien you did which which is directed by an anti-woman yeah if there is if there's an antithesis of a woman it's ridley scott in his grumpy ass face oh well aliens was james cameron oh also oh there we go yeah fuck fuck james cameron worse than ridley scott by that i mean he's been also it was delicious that his ex-wife Stole his Oscar from him because her movie was better. So True. she didn't steal it, but she just got it because he sucks. Because Avatar was not that great of a movie. It was Pocahontas 2019, 2014. Yeah. Whatever. That movie was not that original. Papyrus. Good job to your art crew who made that movie what it was. Sorry, you suck. Anyway. Well, my thought is that we could do Clueless and Fast Times at Ridgemont High are two. Uh, pop culture movies that depict teenage life in high school. There's a lot of similarities and they're directed by the same female Amy Heckerling. I'm down with that. What if we went deeper than that and found some movies that were maybe by non-binary folks or something to that effect? Like, there's a lot to explore. I would love to talk about Moonlight, but I don't want it to be four white dudes and you talking about why it's so impactful for, like, black culture to, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Chicago. We'll it find It should be somebody. authentic, yeah. All right, well, that's about it for us. If you have a suggestion for a movie for us to do, we would love to hear it. You can get a hold of us through the Movie Show Theater Facebook page. You can hear our entire catalog of episodes at soundcloud.com 
slash movie show theater. You can also find us on iTunes and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. So until next time, I'm Jimmy, and this is Movie Show Theater.